Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. We just watched a 1954 film called Ring of Fear, (laughs) starring Mickey Spillane himself (laughs) investigating a crime at a circus. And I just want to say (laughs) that as this movie started (laughs) and the credits began playing, Mm -hmm. you became visibly enraged and upset with what we were seeing. And I said to you, you know, we don't have to watch this movie. And you said, no, I want to see where this goes. I, look at me, look at me in the eyes. I am not a fucking quitter, okay? And when you tell me that my camera author, Mickey Spillane, appeared in a 1950s film, allegedly a film noir, although I saw no evidence of that, about a circus as himself, Mickey Spillane playing Mickey Spillane, we have to watch that. You know, if the kinder thing to do would have just been to not tell me. <laughs> because once I know that that's out there, I we have to watch it. So this is totally on you. Because I told you about something. Well, believe you me, I'm going to be a lot more careful about what I share with yeah. you in the future. Yeah, none of this. I mean, this is, this, I mean, this, this is, this is insane. This is an insane film on so many levels. I'm, I, I, 
Was this theatrically released? It was produced by John Wayne. This was produced. And every factoid about it sounds increasingly insane. It was produced by John Wayne. Uh, another person playing themselves was some guy named Ka- Clive Beasley or something. <laughs> Jesus. You, you can't even remember a basic fact about a film you just watched five minutes Kevin, ago. It was coming at me from all angles like a pack of lions, okay? Clyde Beatty. Okay, he plays himself. He was some lion tamer who Kevin said is mostly known for letting a bunch of animals loose on the Ed Sullivan show. They let, <laughs> they let him come in and pretend to be himself. This whole thing was... This whole thing... I wonder what John Wayne thought about it. <laughs> Do you think he was happy with what he'd done? <laughs> so the movie, the credits, and then just after the credits, it starts with a lengthy... And then multiple times throughout the fucking film. It starts with a lengthy ode to the circus. We see a circus parading through a small town. We hear a narrator talk about how wonderful the circus is, how the kids love it. The kids adore the circus. They pray to God that there's a chance they might be hired on as a water boy for an elephant at the circus. The 50s were a bleak time, people. Uh, the narrator, oh, it's a happy time at the circus. It's a wonderful life at the circus. It's so gay and carefree at the circus. Everything's wonderful at the circus. And then we cut to a state hospital for the insane. Yeah, that's where this fucking film's going to send me. So that's that's just a, the tonal shift of the movie is we get lots of scenes about how great the circus is. We get lots of really long excerpts of circus acts. And I guess if you're a circus historian, that might be interesting. Who the f- What? Oh, yes, the, the esteemed Academy of Circus Historians. You don't think they're circus historians? I they, they probably are, in fairness. And wouldn't you, as a circus historian, love a chance to see all of the uh, circus acts that Clyde Beatty had in the mid-1950s? Some of them were pretty horrifying. <laughs> Tell me about it. Lots act you of animal abuse. It's like every act is like, how can we annoy these animals? Like, it's not subtle. It's not like you're thinking, oh, those lions seem pretty happy. They're having a good time. But then they're secretly not. It's just like, let's poke and prod the lions and whip them. And then they growl, and then we act surprised and back up and hit them with a chair. Leave the lions alone. The crowd loved it. Yeah, because they're a bunch of sadists from the 1950s. Did you ever go to a circus? I've been to a circus. Uh, I went to I, uh, well, <laughs> I went to some random, I think I went to Barnum and Bailey when I was a kid. I don't really remember it. I remember I got this like weird elephant kind of scepter toy. And then uh, more recently, I've been to, uh, you know, I, I, with with a gentleman, uh, uh, a, an Italian water circus in the parking lot of a certain Indianapolis area mall. <laughs> that didn't go so well. Uh, I recently went to a circus with a young lady out uh, in small town, Indiana, <laughs> which, uh, to my astonishment, was mostly featuring a allegedly comic performer named Mr. G selling coloring books to the kids. That was, yeah, that we, so now I'm thinking about it. There's two recent circuses where we fled before it was over. Yes. Cause we got too cringed out and we just had to get the fuck out of there. And in one case it was more, you know, I think we were just concerned about like the pandemic era problems that it posed uh pre-pandemic i did go to one circus uh ringling brothers and barnum and bailey's circus i remember the famed animal trainer gunther gable williams was there but i remember i was so far i I didn't have the worst seats in the house didn't have the best seats in the house but i was far enough away from the action that i couldn't distinguish anything It was just a bunch of blurs, a lot of animals making noises. Did you have glasses at that point? Yes. Okay. But uh, the only really thing I remember about this, this was at a place called Market Square Arena. And I remember being very moved because they had a display up signifying that this was where Elvis Presley had given his last ever concert. Oh, bro! And now they had a circus here. Sounds about right. <laughs> well, now you dissing Elvis? Yes. 
<laughs> right behind you, even as we speak, there's a bust of Elvis Presley. Oh, Jesus. It's like... It's like and you're dissing it's Elvis. Looking, it's looking pointedly away from me. <laughs> Can you blame him after you say something like that? What do you have against Elvis? Should you be uh, the creepy pedophilia? Oh, you're talking about his relationship with uh, the future Priscilla Presley? We met when she was a little girl and he was uh, in Germany in the army. Yeah, a grown man. Yeah, not... Yeah, get get him out of here. (laughs) That's creepy. So you're saying, Elvis, get out of here. Yeah, basically. Your little segment at the end of of, uh, Mystery to Me should be, get out of here. I mean, I like... Will you call out a different celebrity from the past? I'm not trying to cancel Elvis. I mean... So you just told him to get out of here. I'm just saying... If that's not canceling him, what is it? I enjoy Suspicious Minds. I enjoy that song. But I I generally... he seems like a kind of a creepy and off-putting person when you kind of scratch through some of the glamour. Get out of here, you yeah, say. Yeah. I, I, who, who else is in I your, don't want him in my house. Who else is in your get out of here? I, I don't. What? This movie. <laughs> Everyone in this movie. As long as you're, you're telling people to get out of here. I wonder, uh, you're a sophisticated young woman. You're often brags about your great literary taste. Uh, what is your take on the writings of one Mickey Spillane? Um, I remember, I, I, so, this is very typical me. I vaguely remember somebody in my house, maybe one of my parents, having some sort of Mickey Spillane novel that they got from the library. And I think it had something about, like, like a lady who is like wearing nothing but a coat on like the side of the road. And then maybe Mike hammer picks her up and then they get jumped and like she gets killed. Does that sound familiar? Uh, is that the opening of one of the movies? Yeah. Was that a Mike hammer movie? It was a Mike hammer movie. Wasn't it directed by Robert Aldrich? And he had like a secretary, right? That he had sort of a thing with Velda. Velda. Yes. I remember that. So I, I kind of have been, I remember reading them and being like, whoa, there's some stuff I don't understand here. <laughs> so they were, they were too sophisticated for it. Uh, maybe a little bit too adult. I mean, I was like, probably like 11. Uh, when I was like 11 and 12, I read every book he wrote. Oh my God. Up to that time. Uh, you know, he came back out of retirement and wrote a few books in the early 20th century. So are we like really deeply fucked up people because we read my camera at too young an age? Uh, I remember being especially uh, taken by the sex scenes, which I think are probably pretty tame today. <laughs> Kevin looks all witch <laughs> <wishy. laughs> I remember in, in one of the, the, the stories, and I don't even think this was a my camera story. It was like some woman is being kept in an apartment by her boyfriend, who's like a gangster. And because the gangster doesn't want her to leave, he doesn't keep any clothes for her in the apartment. So she's always naked in the apartment. And I thought, yeah. Is, is it yeah, I want to be a sexual predator too, said Kevin. And I remember I also enjoyed, uh, he, he's best known for my camera. He wrote some children's stories. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Oh my God. Some fine uh, stories. He also had another series character, uh, kind of a spy sort of thing. Okay. Tiger Man. Yeah. I mean, I don't have anything against them. It's It sounds like it's a lot of macho stuff, but, you know. I, Sex, violence. And, hard-boiled. Uh, my camera is always out to get revenge for something because some friend of his I mean, I hurt. feel that. <laughs> so I can relate. And, like, I just... I. That's fine. I'm, I don't have a I don't have a huge problem with it. I'm sure there's a lot of weird misogynistic stuff that doesn't age well, but I'm sure there's also some exciting like keeping stuff. a woman naked in your apartment. Yeah, and that having that. I mean, I'm sure it's not portrayed with the seriousness that uh, keeping a woman captive is. You know, I'm sure she's just like, ooh, hello. Yeah, if if I recall, like some guy uh, is like doing an investigation. He comes and visits the apartment, and she's very friendly to him. Yeah, not like get me the fuck out of here, but like, ah, oh, this is my life. Yeah. So I mean, like again, I. I I, I don't feel like I... It, it, when you're a little boy who is very interested in that sort of thing, <laughs> that sort of thing is very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that scene has lingered in my mind all these years. Apparently it's had a big impact. 
disturbing. I isn't there like I remember like spoiler for one of these things. I think in like one of them, maybe it was a movie, and it was like, don't they like take her teeth out or something? I remember being horrified by that. They take her teeth out. Yeah, they like so that she wouldn't be recognized. Like she, so like the dental identification couldn't happen. I don't know. Velda's teeth? Not Velda. This other woman who we picked up on the side of the road. Uh, okay. I don't know. That was my impression as a child. It may have been something else happening. I also may have just had a weird dream that I'm now conflating with reality. Who knows? There was one very weird fever dream one called One Lonely Night, where she's like taken prisoner by a communist, I think. Oh, my God. And she's strung up and beaten. Jesus Christ. So he was getting into all that Red Scare stuff? Yeah, then he became a Jehovah's Witness for a while. Oh, my God. He had an interesting yeah, journey. He, apparently, part of this movie would indicate that. Uh, uh, he also had a very distinguished acting career. He played himself in this. He, uh, I, I've oddly enough, I've never seen it. He uh, played Mike Hammer in the Girl Hunters. What a name! He also I bet that aged well. He also appeared in an episode of Columbo as himself. Uh, as a writer who's killed. See, that's the level of cameo I think he was well-suited for. Like, hey, I'm Mickey Spillane. Oh, um, now I'm dead. You know, that's okay. This... <laughs> he also appeared in a lot of beer commercials when I was a child. <laughs> he, he was trying to get that money. He was trying to get the... Yeah, I get the bread. I get it. Get that bread. But... What circus bread it was. <laughs> bread and circuses? Bread and circuses. Is that what you were... Uh... No, I, I walked into it. <laughs> like a drunk clown walks into the elephant's water. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> this movie's... You know, like that... The, I often quote it. There's like that uh, Mystery Science Theater episode where they like review a short film called Here Comes the Circus. This was like half that and then half like a really, really wooden in terms of acting, dialogue, everything, staging. It's all like, as Kevin called it, security camera shots where it's just a bunch of people. There's no close-ups. There's no cuts. Just people talking. And <coughs> half of that, there's, I, I, don't, under, I, I don't understand. Like, you, you, if you're going to have a circus, you know, it should be fluid. We, we went to see a circus sort of mystery thriller horror thing, uh, Nightmare Alley, right? And yes. like, and like that wasn't a perfect movie by any means, but it was like, oh, I can see how people have fun at the circus, but there's also some bad things that happen in relation to the circus, so you can see the darkness. But here it would just go between like blinding white sunlight and, you know, this kind of attempt to be sort of noirish that didn't really work because it didn't feel at all authentic. And they were not able to thread the needle of pulling together those elements in a way that I found shocking because circuses are naturally horrifying. You have a bunch of weirdos coming into town who are probably exploited by the owners of the circus and, and abused animals. I mean, they're kind of freaky when you think about it. So they're, they're, that's why there's so many movies and shit about them because they're kind of creepy. So it's like, how could you not even get that? Why are you doing this weird circus commercial? And then this other thing. Half the movie is 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 like, gosh, the circus is great. Lots of shots of the audience members beaming with delight and clapping like idiots. And the same two fucking kids, pardon me, but the same two little boys eating like apples or like, you know, like ice cream or something and then clapping and then drinking root beers. You see them a lot. Uh, and and it's odd because you could imagine Clyde Beatty saying, sure, I'll be in this movie and let you use my circus as the backdrop for your little story. I want to make sure you, you make the circus seem great. And so the circus is just portrayed as a wondrous paradise. But at the same time, if you're watching this film, would you think, oh, the circus has a psychopathic killer working at it who might kill someone horribly in front of me and my children. Let's go. <laughs> Sign us up. I hate my fucking kids. They deserve the trauma. Yeah, I don't think this is really works as an advertisement for the circus. Makes me never want to go to... I mean, like, I don't really want to go to a circus in the first place, but yeah, this definitely made me not want to go to a circus. And, like, I just... 
let but let's talk about the fucking elephant in the room, frankly, which is the fuck. Okay, this the plot. One, this no, not the plot. What do we see like every thirty minutes? <laughs> the same circus parade down Main Street, and it's obviously the same place every time, and it's being used as something to be like, oh, we're in a different town now, but it's the same town because it's the same buildings and all the same people and the same order of acts, and it's like, you're not fooling us, Mickey Spillane. And what's interesting about this is that it's not integral to the plot for them to be in different cities. They could just be staying in one place for a while because it's like a major market. That's fine. We don't need to... What, what are they trying to go for? Like, realism? Oh, no, the cir- circuses typically move twice a week, so we better show that pacing. What are you doing? No, they were trying to pad out the runtime with these f- freaking people wandering around and, oh, da 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 What? Get it out of here. We can... It's so sloppy. They didn't even, like, try to, like, move down the street slightly with their cameras to get a different angle to give the impression that it was a different place. I was outraged, as I'm sure you could tell. Yes, welcome to my life. I knew that parade was going to be a problem. Once it started going on for, like, five minutes of the opening, because it's like, okay, here are the credits. Okay. Nothing's happening. It's just a parade. Fine. And I'm like, this parade, it's just, they, they're pretty proud of their little parade. Yeah, you started steaming. I got out of my hands and knees and I pleaded with you. I knew, I knew what this was going to do to you. I said, let's watch something else. You said, no, Kevin, I want to see where this goes. Why don't you tell us where it went? Why don't you give us the plot? Where did it go? So, and then, uh, and I say this as uh, my, my grandparents are Irish uh, and- you know, I'm, I'm Irish descent, uh, an insane Irishman who's literally called Dublin. Dublin O'Malley. What the fuck kind of anti-Irish bullshit does this movie have? I, I'm, I'm, I was furious. He's doing like a weird Irish accent and, oh, I'm Dublin O'Malley. Oh, I have the crazy eyes. It's like, sure. But I would wager the best performance in the film. Oh, by far. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> bar none. <laughs> He's the only man here who is trying. So I'll give him that. But um, otherwise, you know, he's basically in an insane asylum. He's like, I'm better now. Da, 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 da. You should let me go. And they're like, no, you're insane and violent and, you know, lie. And he's like, okay. And then he escapes. And then he, like, kills a guy on the way out by throwing him under a train so he can steal his clothing and money. And then he goes back to the circus where he's known to work, I guess the local authorities that be, they, they thought the other guy was him. But, I mean, great police work, everybody. And so he gets his old job back as, like, the ringmaster, like the MC. Not the ringmaster. Is it the ring leader? I don't know. Whatever the fuck. <laughs> they call him, in the movie, they call him the director. The director. How pretentious. And he... uh he has all these like flashbacks. So there'll be all these bizarre things where like he'll go over to like this drunk clown who I guess he has blackmail material over because the drunk clown apparently killed a girl in California back in the day. I don't know. And they'll be like, oh, don't you remember when Clyde was laughing at you because a lion bit you in the arm? And then he like goes back and he's thinking about that. And then you see it and you're like, okay, <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, then he. Uh, the drunken clown's name? Is Twitchy. Yes. I'm sure that's not his his real name, but I think that was his Christian name. <laughs> his mom, and he's he's a, called Twitchy because he's having the uh, he, he's having alcohol withdrawal and he's trembling. So, uh, and then this guy uh, gets him drinking again and uh, uses alcohol to bribe him to do his bidding. So, yeah. It's a pretty bleak character. <laughs> Circus. <laughs> Clowns dying of liver cirrhosis. Uh, and and so then basically this guy's evil scheme is to sabotage the circus to get revenge, but also get revenge on this acrobat uh, who he was in love with. He does not want to get revenge on her. He wants to marry her. And everybody knows that chicks love it when you uh, come into their place of work, uh, creep out their children. Upset their husband and sabotage their boss. Yeah, this person, this acrobat has a little girl. And, like, he's, like, almost flirting with little girls. He's, oh, let's just have special little names for it. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. That part is legitimately chilling. 
I don't think the movie realized how, how creepy that whole thing was. And then at one point, he suggests to, to the woman and her husband, you know, maybe maybe this daughter could be mine. Like, we have similar noses. It's like, okay, what the fuck? And she says, well, you know, you, you left the circus, you know, X number of years ago, and, and the child isn't that old. He said, well, you know, sometimes the numbers can lie. What does that even mean? Uh, yeah, he's he's very creepy, and yeah, I guess that is an effective performance in that sense. But it's just like it's, so you applaud the Dublin O'Malley performance. I uh, no, I don't. I I I think the I think the movie at first wanted to be like, oh, it's it's nice that he's being nice to this little girl. I don't know. It's just the whole thing. I was like, it, it has no sense of like suspense or momentum at all because every five, it's like imagine you're trying to build up speed in your new car, and then every five minutes. Like a brick wall pops up in the middle of the road. Like you have to break, get around it. You know, then you the same thing happens over and over again. There's no there's no sense of propulsion here at all. It's it's actually to a comic degree. At one point we were trying to dick around with the with the like, you know, we were trying to skip over the fucking circus scenes because it was just so repetitive. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So the question is, let's say, let's play hypothetically a little game here where you, Anya, are in charge of a circus and crimes are happening. People are dying. Uh, what do you do? Who do you turn to for help? I'd probably turn to like old James Patterson. Perhaps, yeah, just perhaps, call him up. Perhaps Clive Cussler. R.I.P. He passed away. But yeah, love love Clive Cussler's work. Yeah, you could go to... Uh, so yeah, literally, the guy says, let's call in Mickey Spillane. Call him Mickey Spillane. He'll handle this. He knows what to do in a circus mystery. And Mickey Spillane... And at no point is this explained. No. You could, you could say, well, you know, let's call in Michael Connolly because this took place at a newspaper. Michael Connolly is a novelist, but he used to work at newspapers. Yeah, maybe he knows the people at the newspaper. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Spillane is somehow connected to the acrobat. Maybe he's, he's your uncle or there's some reason to bring him in. Or you could, I mean, you could, like, this would be kind of silly, but, like, you could have him just be naturally there because he is indeed embedding to do a mystery on a circus, which is what he claims to people, but no, they brought him in. So, like, just, why don't you just just have him happen to be there and he gets involved and he's thinking about it, you know? I don't know. Don't do this. The first scene with Mickey Spillane is he comes across a guy who's reading a Mickey Spillane novel and he says, your novels are so great, I can't stop reading them. And Mickey's like, here, have another. That literally happens. That's like a commercial. And Mickey Spillane... Uh, yeah, what do you make of this man's performance, this author? This man of letters. I, I think no matter what you say about his writing, it's not the most complex writing, but there's something to it. You can understand why people would derive pleasure it's from it. It's very punchy, right? It's kind of like... No a, pun intended. Yeah, but it's like kind of like boom, 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 you know? And there's kind of a... Some of it can have kind of a, a, a rough sense of beauty to it. Yeah. 
it, it's it's pulp writing, but it's it's well done for yeah, what it is. It, yeah, exactly. D- despite that, apparently the man has no charisma. <laughs> Look at him. Cardboard cutout. It actually made me like him more because he just seems like this awkward guy. Like, huh? What's going on? <laughs> like, he doesn't seem like like he just is awkward. Like, I don't like feel. I feel like if you were a murderer in a circus and then that guy came to investigate, you'd be like, "Well, I'm gonna get away with this." <laughs> this guy's like, this guy's just an empty suit. <laughs> like he's like. He kind of comes across like kind of like weird in a pushover way. Is that is that my, just my assessment? No. Like I feel like if we were at the circus and we were like the murderers, like I feel like I could bully him into thinking we weren't. Like that's that's the impression he gives off, which is surprising. So now my question to you is, let's say you are running a circus in 1954 America. And you have to call in a writer to help you. Which writer do you pick? J.D. Salinger? No. Hemingway? No. Kerouac? No, none of them. Who would you pick? Flannery O'Connor? Why? I don't know. She kind of, she understood, you know, that people are awful. Who would you pick? Dashiell Hammett. Oh, duh. He was Peterson. He used to be a detective, so... You would just be getting depressed listening to Flannery O'Connor talk about the fallibility of man. I'd be getting stuff done. <laughs> You'd be getting shit done. You and old Dash. Yeah, this is the difference between us. But then he'd get well. Then to, uh, he'd get he'd get sabotaged because he'd get thrown in jail for being a leftist. What if? So then you'd have, you'd be out no, and no, 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 Let me finish this. What if we owned the circus? together oh and we each unbeknownst, the sex no we each unbeknownst to the other called in a writer ah. and they had to work together <laughs> and then what if they fell in love oh god <laughs> hammond and o'connor jesus christ <laughs> that's wild i i just i don't know meanwhile lillian hellman is getting jealous Ooh. Maybe, maybe. I mean, they're they're the basis for Nick and Nora, so maybe you just do Lillian Hellman and Dashiell Hammett. They can, you know, it's a couples and couples. You know, yeah, that would be that would be less awkward, and then there's no jealousy and no infidelity. I think that's what we got to do. And frankly, I think even if we were alive in 1954, I don't think we'd be running a circus. Also, I don't think we'd have enough clout to get like famous people to come help us with our fucking circus problem. Don't they have shit to do? Wouldn't you be like, I'm sorry, but maybe you just call the police? Don't you think if you were a famous writer, you got a chance to go investigate a murder in a circus? How can you say no? I would definitely say no. Today, I think, uh, who who wouldn't want to do that? You get a podcast out of it. Oh, Jesus Christ. Circus murders. Yeah, just usual money-grubbing bullshit that people would pull. Death at the big top. Jesus Christ. Well, at some point, someone said, oh, it's like the big top deflated like a balloon or something, and you laughed at it. Because <laughs> it sounded kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much animal abuse. Even if we were it's living horrifying. in 1950s, I don't think we'd be running a circus. I wouldn't want to run a circus because, like, it's just, like, hurting all these animals that are, like, beautiful animals and just making them very unhappy and just for people's entertainment. And, like, that's a really banal statement, but, like, awful, just awful. I'm glad that they've fallen out of style. It seems like fewer ones go around with all these big animals that do not belong in that kind of setting. Uh, Because I just think it's whatever the fun or silly aesthetics, once you know that, you can't unknow it. So you're just watching and you're just like, that really takes you out of the viewing experience for this movie because you're not like, oh, haha, circus. Like you're like, oh. Because it really gets like, oh, we're whipping the tigers now. That's fun. Great. Like, thanks for showing us that. Horrible. I kept waiting for the... I wanted the tigers and the lions to break out and just eat everybody. Wasn't there a scene in this that like went on forever with uh, Clyde Beatty just whipping uh, lions? Yeah. And waving a chair at them? Bobby Knight style? <laughs> yeah, it goes on for about five hours. There was a very long tiger sequence. And then the lion sequence made the tiger sequence look like a fucking, you know, five-minute 
ordeal. It, 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 it just sequences upon sequences of different animals in, in various degrees of discomfort. It's not, that's not pleasant. And it's interesting to me because usually uh, you always take notes when we watch these things. You want to make sure we remember to cover things. And usually your notes are kind of clinical. But your notes for this movie are full of uh, profanity, full of anger. <laughs> I don't like seeing animals get hurt. It pisses me off. I see the word fucking a lot. <laughs> I say Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, they're just torturing a tiger? We just saw this. We just saw the damn parade. Yeah, that gives a pretty good insight. So Mickey Spillane then brings in another person to help out. And this person is going to pretend to be a reporter writing stories about the circus for a magazine. He's actually investigating what's going on. Yeah, it's like, thanks a lot, bud, for making it harder to do journalism. Right? Oh, so you think people are going to watch this movie. No, I mean, and, like... And think, oh, reporters aren't really reporters. They're actually secretly undercover police officers. For Mickey Spillane. <laughs> well, I would be more... I'm just thinking in general, like, if you have a person who's law enforcement pretending to be a reporter and embedding, then that would, you know... And that gets out. And that, I mean, obviously, this is going to be a big story in this universe because Mickey Spillane's involved, and it's a circus. So that's going to that's gonna sell headlines, and then it's going to get out that that wasn't a real reporter, and people are going to be like, I'm not going to talk to a reporter again because they might turn out to be a cop. I guess this is like pre-Miranda. Was he even a cop? Or was he just Mickey Spillane's friend? It was Mickey Spillane's editor, I bet. <laughs> and then, then this guy and Mickey Spillane just kind of stand back and watch a lot of stuff. Honestly, that was the most relatable part of the film for me because you just... Like, it cuts to them just kind of wearing hats and glowering and, like, looking at stuff. And that's us watching the movie. They see, like, the bad guy, like, attacking someone. And then you cut to them just kind of watching and squinting. Yeah, not saying anything interesting. Maybe just making a few, like, basic observations. Like, he didn't take that well. Or, like, you know, so, like, what the fuck is this? I, I love those. Those parts were my the only good part of the film for me. At one point, Mickey Spillane is, like, slouched in a chair with his, like, hat over his eyes, like, talking in a weird voice. And I'm like, is that when he realized how bad this film was going to be? Why do you suppose he did this? I guess it's flattering to be, like, you know, you're a successful mystery novelist. You're, you know, hard-boiled, noirish novelist. And then they're like, we want to portray you as this like, kind of, like, brilliant detective in the style of your stories where you're this cool, tough guy who comes to town and sorts it all out. And maybe he just kind of, you know, was kind of like, Oh, that, that will, that will make me look cool. That won't make me look like a jackass. And then he signed on for it. And then unfortunately that, you know, something else happened. <laughs> the hammer came down. <laughs> so if like someone came to you and said, I want to make uh, a low budget movie, about a podcaster who watches movies and talks about them. I'd love you to play the role. You'd say no? No, I would say no. You have too much uh, dignity and self-respect. It's it's a benefit for being somebody who is ultimately full of, full of shame and embarrassment and anxiety that, you know, I would hope that those instincts that often, you know, make me somewhat unhappy would kick in once I need them. Because otherwise, what are they there for? I mean, we were once asked to be on a certain show. I don't know if I should name said show, but that would have made us look like complete and utter jackasses had we said yes. And you were a bit tempted, frankly. I might have been a bit tempted too, but my sense of propriety and thinking about things as in, you know, what's the over and under on us looking at like total jackasses was strong enough to make us say no. And I think you'd agree with me that that was the correct call. And I think we should not we should not mention the show. And I bet nobody listening would even guess what show it is. No. <laughs> but sometimes you just got to say no to things. I understand what Mickey Spillane was going for. And also Mickey Spillane in the 50s, you know, we're not, we're not, I mean, I'm not well known. So like he was kind of probably thinking, oh yeah, I'm buying my own PR kind of. Like I'm pretty cool. People think I'm cool. They'll think, you know, I'll, I'll, it'll be a cool movie and it's, it, no. It doesn't feel also at all like anything that you could be aptly describing as like hard-boiled. 
or like tough guy stuff. It just feels like a really bad thriller. There's a decent movie buried in here. Which is the story of a woman had a relationship with the wrong guy. He leaves the picture. She meets the right guy, marries him, has a child with him. And then the wrong guy comes back and kind of terrorizes her and plays mental games to try to antagonize her husband and drive a wedge between them so that he can come back into the picture. Yeah, there's a creepy stalker movie there. There's a creepy stalker movie there. But like you'd have to be... And you have to be, you have to care about the woman's perspective, and this movie doesn't seem to. Care that would much. have to be the emotional linchpin of it. Yeah, couldn't be like I don't think that's a movie where you could just be like, and here's this outside author is going to come in and solve it. And here's the circus, the wonderful circus. And also, like you would think that like people would have been, I mean, like like and this shows how little the fucking movie cares about that the actor acrobat is that like you know you'd think that like in real life she'd be like talking to people and be like, yeah, he kind of gives me a creepy vibe the way he just showed up again suddenly. And like, she's obviously right before all these out. people started right dying. before all these people started dying, but they don't even let that happen. And they, you know, there's no reason in the, in the plot for that, com- that conversation not to happen. And for people not to take her seriously, nobody's like, well, we need this, this Dublin guy to like announce what's happening in front of everybody that they can all plainly see, you know, like that's necessary. Like we, they could get someone else for that is what I'm saying. Yes. And he's killing people. He drowns Twitchy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he's not all bad. <laughs> Did Twitchy a favor there. <laughs> Jeez. So Mickey. <laughs> Mickey Spillane. He puts the pieces together. And then his big move is. <laughs> I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing. I'm going to break into the apartment of the killer kind of snoop around and then wait for him to come in and then i'm going to tell him i have complete incontrovertible evidence that he's guilty and just see what happens i'll get him to splain the beans (laughs) so the guy comes in mickey Spillane says oh yeah you're guilty and so the guy very easily (laughs) overpowers mickey and ties him up and says i'm going to kill you that's probably the part of the film when he realized oh no this this wasn't a good idea so someone else happens along and scares the bad guy away the bad guy takes off running and maybe this guy who happened under the scene should chase him but no mickey says hey time uh, untie me and this gives the bad guy (laughs) how dare you and this this gives the bad guy time to (laughs) escape and he goes to the home of the acrobat and he menaces her. But then leaves. <laughs> then her husband shows up and he leaves and he's like running all around and he lets out uh, a tiger. <laughs> and so then Clyde Beatty says, don't worry, I'll take care of the tiger with my little whip and my chair. Yeah, we need to see more animal abuse. And so Clyde Beatty then goes around. You know, whipping and chairing. Would you call it chairing? I don't know. I, I call it I call it wrong. He does whatever he does with the tiger, and then everybody else is just watching him in awe. Mickey, everybody is just watching him in awe. Meanwhile, the Mickey's bad guy, watching a man steal his own movie. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> the bad guy just runs around unfettered. Shouldn't somebody should they say, okay, Clyde's got this tiger under control? Okay, maybe a couple, maybe if they were helping Clyde. <laughs> they weren't helping Clyde. They were just watching from a distance. No, everybody else went to go uh, untie Mickey's plane. <laughs> Shouldn't some of them have been chasing the bad guy? You know, he, he killed Twishy. I, I, I think people might be kind of intimidated. He's getting away with a lot. So the bad guy's big move then is he climbs aboard a train car. And then by sheer happenstance, Clyde Beatty maneuvers the tiger into that car. Clyde doesn't know that anybody's in there. So first of all, that's reckless. You, yeah. You, you, <laughs> that's, a, that's a group of 
school kids on an Amtrak field trip. Could have been like a, a family. Yeah, could have been. Could have been like an occupied dining car. <laughs> but he, he he maneuvers the tiger into this car, slams it shut. The train takes off. The guy's a monster. That fucking. And then blood. we hear the howling scream of the dying bad guy as he's mauled to death by the tiger. How do we know it was the bad guy and not the conductor? Riding the rails. Then a fucking tiger comes out. Jesus. That would be my luck. Jeez, Louise. I think you have expect for the doorbell here to ring. and You'd open the door and a tiger comes out. I would be like, I'm not surprised. You always expect the worst. That's a pretty reasonable expectation. They would expect a tiger in Indianapolis to pounce on you when you open up your front door. If Clyde Beatty and his gang is in town, who knows? Clyde Beatty's been dead for decades. Yes, ghost. <laughs> Jesus. Those Mickey Spillane is dead. I'm sure everybody else in this film is dead. And can we talk about why? Why, why the they bad died? Guy? No, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Death is a natural part of life, can, Anya. Can it's we, a part of the cycle. Jesus it's part of God's great plan for can us all. Can we talk about why the bad guy wanted to get rid of Mickey Spillane, though? Just going back a minute. Mickey Spillane goes to him and says, we're alone. Nobody knows where I am. I just want to tell you, I have proof. I have facts. I have a timeline. I have a little PowerPoint presentation that I've, I'm going to mail to the police. And that's going to say why you're guilty. And the guy's like, all right, you know, you do you, bro. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then he's like, but also, I think you have crazy eyes. And that sets him off. He says, I don't care about your facts. <laughs> but your intuition, that's what gets to me. I'm going to pour acid in your eyes because you said that. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> this movie's so silly, but also disturbing. See, you've just replicated the movie because you there. You say, "Oh, this is wonderful," <laughs> but also disturbing. That's the movie's tonal shifts. <laughs> you know, this is an audio medium, so you make funny faces. I'm making crazy eyes at you. Okay. You don't even care. So I can't even attack you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say you have crazy eyes. You're gouge out my eyes. He was actually going to pour acid in his eyes. Which again, just like this whole thing, like, no, nothing that interesting has happened all movies. So I, 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 I think I think you're going to be fine, Mr. Spillane. Jesus. The whole thing. Nobody seems at all concerned. Like, at one point, like, they're, like, they're, like, like any time it's like, oh, something might happen. You know, the bad guy just runs off. <laughs> Runs right into the tiger. So you, you'd like the bad guy to have more stick to I just think if we're going to go through all this effort, you know, I something should happen. Uh, so was this what you expected? No. Not at all? No. That'd be pretty weird if you hadn't expected it. <laughs> How about you? No, not at all. When it first started the movie with the opening credits and all the pro-circus uh, propaganda, uh... You seem very confused. Like, had we put the wrong disc in? Was I sure Mickey Spillane was in this? <laughs> and then, like, a, a child at Christmas, anytime you saw a stocky, middle-aged white man, you said, Kevin, is that Mickey? I didn't call him Mickey. That's too familiar. <laughs> he said, Kevin, is that Mr. Spillane? <laughs> How did you find out about this movie? I, I told you, I, I used to be quite the Mickey Spillane scholar. Oh, because of all the sex scenes that you read when you were a little boy? Yes. I, I shook Mickey Spillane's hand once. Wait, really? Yeah. Did you ask him about this whole mess? <laughs> I didn't bring up this. I asked him uh, some question about... He got his career started as a writer. He did uh, comic books. Uh, used to be... It was very important for comic books to save money by getting second-class mailing privileges from the post office, and in order to have those, you'd have to have a text page. And so many comic books would have, like, little short stories as texts for, like, one page, and no kid ever read those. But Mickey Spillane used to write some of those text pieces. So what did you ask him about it? Uh, I asked him uh, if he remembered uh, who he worked for, and he... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember who you are, Mr. Spillane? Do you remember why you're here? He was actually at a comic book convention, so that's how I uh, met him. There you go. Were there any tigers running around? I believe this was 1994. 
Jesus. You, oddly enough, were not present. I wonder if he regretted this. Would you regret it? You, okay, you are a tough guy author. Or, you know, you write a tough guy character. It's beloved. It makes you pretty successful. People think you're, you know, good. And, like, you're doing that for a long time. And then you are in this. Or something of this caliber. Are you humiliated? Do you not really care? Do you just think, I'd better stick to writing? Okay, let's say... Anya, I want you to jump out of an airplane wearing a funny outfit <laughs> and a big feather hat. What? what? And really funny little wings. And I want you to flap your wings as you go what down. What the fuck kind of sick fantasy is this? And you say, yeah, okay, I'll try anything once. And you do that. And it's, and it's a really <laughs> negative experience. Do I die? It's really a negative experience for you, and you regret it bitterly. And then, like, ten years later, someone says, Hey, Anya, I've got an idea. Why don't you jump out of a plane wearing a funny outfit and feathers? And if you really had been so humiliated by what happened the first time, would you be likely to do it a second time? Are you telling me you're looking to have a repeat of our honeymoon? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess maybe, I guess... I guess it couldn't have been that bad for him. Because he, he, he then appeared as the lead in The Girl Hunters. As his own character. Mike Hammer. Which somehow seems more audacious to me than playing yourself. Like, playing yourself, okay, yeah, you are Mickey Spillane. That's who you are. But you're becoming your own character that you're like, what are you doing? Wouldn't you say your best character is Anya Kane? <laughs> My starring role. <laughs> Jesus. This movie was insane. I think you should have asked him about this. I don't think I knew about it at the time. Yeah. I think I also asked him something about Tiger Man. Oh, did he did he suddenly turn pale and say, ah, I, have to, I have to go? <laughs> Anything else you want to say about this debacle? Is your gun quick? Are you the jury? On this one lonely night. I'd say that this film made us want to toss our clown shoes out of the ring. <laughs> Is it dumb? <laughs> it's dumb. I'm sorry. But we're keeping it because <laughs> I can't think of anything. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s. So all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so, so much, much for, for listening. listening.